you turn with me your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter 8. Normally when uh, Reformed Christians turn to Romans 8, they turn to the end of Romans chapter 8. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. The security that we have in Christ. And we're going to look at the first part of Romans 8 this morning, verses 1 through 17. Continuing a series of sermons, this is number five in a series of sermons on the Holy Spirit. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and of death. For the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you, are li- you will live. For all who are being led by the sons of God, these, by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified also with him. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless our time together now as we uh, think through this portion of your word as well as other portions of it, as we reflect upon uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does for us. And we pray this morning that you would ultimately would be our teacher that you would guide us into the truth. You would show us what it is that we need to know to help us to grow into a more intimate and closer relationship with you through uh, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and through this great gift of the Holy Spirit you've given to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is something of a logical order, and I hope that you've seen that already as we've gone through now four sermons on the Holy Spirit into the fifth. And that is that we begin by 
identifying the Holy Spirit, asking who he was. And then we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit and looked at that gift beginning with the anticipation of the Old Testament into the Gospels, to Pentecost, and into our life as believers today. Then we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit, both in regeneration, being born again, and in sanctification, causing us to mature in our faith. Not only does the Holy Spirit initiate faith, give us faith, bring us to faith, but the Holy Spirit causes us to grow and to mature in our faith as well. Well, this morning, the title of my sermon is Living with the Holy Spirit. What it means to live daily in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, not only does the Holy Spirit cause us to be born again, and not only does the Holy Spirit help us or cause us to grow in our faith and mature in Christ, but our whole life as believers, from the moment of conversion till the time we go to heaven, is lived in the presence of and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'd point you again to John chapter 14. I think we may have looked at these verses in each sermon so far. John 14, verses 16 and 17, right near the end of Jesus' life, where he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, that is, that helper, may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, Jesus says, because he abides with you and will be in you. Notice what Jesus says there. The Holy Spirit will be both with you and in you. We live daily, moment by moment, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is with us. But it's more than that. Jesus says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And Paul, as we'll see in our text this morning, drives that point home even more clearly. The Holy Spirit lives in those of us who trust in Jesus for salvation. And that's one of the biggest mistakes, I think, that believers make today. We do not recognize that dual truth, that the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit is in us. We somehow think that as believers, kind of on our own, kind of struggle along by ourselves to make it as we can by our own strength, by our own power, we don't understand the fullness of what Jesus said when he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask him and he's going to send you another helper. And, and the Holy Spirit has been sent. And he's been sent to be just that, to be our helper, to be a great help to us as we live our lives before God. He is our helper because he is both with us and in us. And so this morning, I want us to spend some time thinking about what it means to live with the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a vast subject. I've had to whittle and cut and narrow it down. I could have made a whole series just on this. I, res I resisted that temptation. And so some of you may be frustrated by the end when I, you think, well, why didn't he get to that part of it? 
but I'm going to cover three main areas this morning. And first, I want you to see the significance of having assurance from the Holy Spirit. That is one of the greatest blessings of living with the Holy Spirit. And having the Holy Spirit in you is this wonderful sense of assurance of salvation, this tremendous sense of confidence that you belong to God. Isn't that where many believers struggle? Maybe you struggle there. You know, we all tend to have doubts sometimes, don't we? Especially when we're going through some particularly difficult, hard time in our lives or when we're struggling with a particular temptation or maybe we've fallen to temptation, succumbed to it, and we're struggling now with the reality of sin. And we look at ourselves and we say, how can I be a believer? How can I be a child of God? How can God love me, accept me the way that I am, with my heart the way that it is? I want you to know this morning, God doesn't want you to doubt. He doesn't want you to question or wonder about your salvation. He wants you to know that you are His. At the end of his first epistle, John said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I have written them, he says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to have assurance. Now that assurance comes externally. It comes externally from the Word of God, the promises God gives to us here. And we believe those promises. We treasure them. And when we doubt our faith, we turn to them. Passages like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From Romans chapter 10, whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. And even the first verse of our text this morning, in Romans chapter 8, therefore, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We have that external confirmation of the reality of our faith, but it's not just external. There's also an inner assurance that comes to us, and that comes to us from the work of the Holy Spirit. If there's one great truth that comes leaping out from the verses that we read this morning, I hope you caught it. And that is the Holy Spirit. One of the great helps of the Holy Spirit is to, uh, to impress upon your heart these promises of God that you are His child. If you look with me again at verse 15, Romans 8, verse 15, where Paul says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, unfortunately, if you have the translation that I'm using, which is the New American Standard, and I'm committed to it, I believe in it, I've been using it for a long time, and I know some of you have gone out and bought one. The word spirit in spirit of adoption or spirit, Spirit of sonship, as it is in some translations, is not capitalized. Now, most of your translations probably do capitalize it. I've checked the uh, ESV, uh, the New King James, the NIV. Capitalize that word spirit. I think they are absolutely right. 
Paul is referring here to the spirit of adoption. Because he confirms that in verse 16 where he says the spirit himself, it is capitalized in my text in 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the one who impresses upon your heart and my heart that God really has adopted us into his family. And when we begin to look at ourselves and begin to have doubts or begin to wonder, the Holy Spirit presses that truth into us deeply, reminding us that we are. We are His. Not because of anything in us or about us or because of us, but only because of Him and who He is and His wonderful grace toward us in Jesus Christ. He is the Spirit of adoption. I like to call the Holy Spirit the spirit of intimacy. He is the one who enables us to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. We're going to see that more clearly when we come to deal with the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. And how the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. He knows even what we're about to pray before we pray it. And even when we can't pray, He takes what we should say, ought to say, want to say and presents it before the throne of God on our behalf. He is the spirit of intimacy. He is the spirit of adoption. He impresses that great truth upon our hearts that we do belong to God by grace through faith alone. There is this inner witness of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship which even leads us, Paul says, to cry out, Abba, Father. It's a term of intimacy, a term of affection, a term of endearment, almost the term Daddy, as we come to him realizing that he embraces us that way. The Holy Spirit gives us that sense of assurance and confidence. But what I want you to understand is that, that sense of assurance and confidence is not reserved for the most sanctified, the most holy, or the most godly of believers. It is for everyone who believes. Remember that every believer has the Holy Spirit. If you look back again at Romans 8, verse 9, and we looked at this a couple of times also already. Into verse 9 where Paul says, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The flip side is that if you do belong to Christ, you do have the Holy Spirit. Every believer, as we saw, is baptized by the Holy Spirit, possesses the Holy Spirit. At the moment of conversion, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he confirms to our hearts that we belong to God. If you look down to verse 11, he talks about him dwelling in us. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so you have the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. And then as we saw again in verse 16, that Holy Spirit who dwells in you testifies to your spirit that you are a child of God. And so one of the great blessings of living in the presence of the Holy Spirit, understanding that He lives with you and in you, is this tremendous assurance, this wonderful confidence that we belong to Jesus. How do we know that we are 
saved. How do we know that we've been born again? Well, last week, it was through the objective evidence, right? Through our desire for holiness, our pursuit of sanctification, the change, the difference that God the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. But here we see there is a subjective indication, which is, again, that testimony of the Holy Spirit reassuring us, confirming to our hearts that we are the children of God. And the closer you live to the Holy Spirit, the more you're aware that he is with you and in you, the more you'll have that sense of assurance of your salvation. And so that's one thing that comes to us from living with the Holy Spirit. The other is, I want us to look at the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament, I think, equates living with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of confusion in the church over the years about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some believe that being filled with the Spirit involves some sort of emotional experience, some sort of ecstatic or euphoric state, being able to speak in tongues or being able to live in some elevated spiritual state above the realm of temptation or sin. And so there are many believers who go through life kind of searching for it, trying to get it, for that something extra, that something additional, that something special. They think, if only I could have that. If I, don't, I can only experience this. If I can only do that, then I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's only one place in the Bible really where we're admonished to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's in Ephesians 5. And I want you to turn with me there if you have your Bibles. We're going to spend some time in Ephesians 5 this morning. That is where in verse 18 where Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. But that exhortation is not given in the context of worship. That exhortation is given in the context of a discussion Paul gives us of how to live the Christian life. Let's look at it carefully. Let's, let's begin with verse 15, where Paul says, this is Ephesians 5, 15. Therefore, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So Paul is addressing there the Christian walk. It's a euphemism, another word for the Christian life. Okay? Be careful, he says, how you walk or how you live as a Christian, and make sure, he says, verse 15, that you are walking as a, living as a wise person. Not as an unwise, but as a wise person. Okay? Uh, and then, if you look in verse 16, he's even more specific. Making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Someone who is walking properly in the Christian faith, living out their Christian life, not only lives as a wise person, but also is, um, be careful now, good at time management. Making the most of their time. Because the days are evil. And then in verse 17, he says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. See, a godly person, someone who's being led by or filled with the Spirit, is someone who's making wise decisions about their lifestyle, their behavior, their conduct. There's someone who's managing their time well, using it for God's glory. 
There's someone also in verse 17 who understands what God's will is and to try their best to live in it. And then he goes on to verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now what does that mean? Remember, every believer has the Holy Spirit. We saw that back in Romans 8 verse 9. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. So does being filled with the Spirit mean that somehow you have more of the Holy Spirit? Does it have to do with the amount of the Holy Spirit that you have in your life? It doesn't quite make sense, does it? It's not the biblical picture either. Because from the context here in Romans or Ephesians chapter 5, it's clear that being filled with the Holy Spirit has to do with control or that which guides or directs your life. Notice what Paul says, the phraseology in verse 18. So then, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But, he says, be filled with the Spirit. When someone drinks too much and becomes inebriated, they lose control, don't they? No longer are they under control of their senses, their bodily functions. They have given themselves to the control of that which they have intaken. They have given their bodies and their minds over to the control of the alcohol which they have drunk. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be under His control. To allow the things of the Spirit to guide you as you make your decisions, your judgments, your lifestyle, and your conduct. You see, there's nothing mystical or even emotional necessarily about being filled with the Spirit. Instead, it's extremely practical. It comes down to what is it that is guiding your life? By what principle do you direct the course of your life? How can I tell? How can I tell in a practical way if I am being filled with the Spirit? Well, it is when, as we find in this text, I live wisely. When I make good use of my time. When I am following the Lord's will and trying to live by it. Then it's even more practical than that. Look at the verses following. Verse 18. He says, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, how does it show itself? By speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul gives us three ways there that we can tell whether or not we are filled with the Spirit. One is, we have a desire to worship. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody with our hearts to the Lord. Another is thankfulness, gratefulness. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be thankful for all of God's blessings given to you. And the third is a sense of subjection or submission. To be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It is from there, verse 21, that Paul moves into that familiar passage beginning with verse 22. 
which deals with marriage and the marriage relationship. It's in the context, folks, of being filled with the Spirit. And when the evidences of it is that you're subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and how does a woman show that she is filled with the Spirit? One of the ways is by being in submission to her husband. All right, I'm, you men got it. Now, here's yours. Read on through the text. One of the ways men show they're filled with the Spirit is by loving their wives. You see, it's practical. It's not some emotional burst, some uh, feeling that we get, but it really is, am I living according to the flesh or am I living according to the Spirit? If you go back to Romans chapter uh, 8, where we were her a moment ago. Verse 6, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, is not even, not even, does not even subject itself to the law of God, is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And then you go over to um, verse 14, all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being filled with the Spirit has to do with the control of your life, the direction of it, the focus of it. And the more we are filled with the Spirit, the more we walk in the godly way after the pattern that Christ has set. And so those are two ways. The third way is uh, I want you to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know you all tell me never to apologize because I've gone late. Some of you do. I'm late. I'll be brief. The power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that so many times in the New Testament, those two things are tied together. The Holy Spirit and power. All the way back to the Old Testament, in the story of Samson, for example. As a young man, we're told the Spirit of God began to stir him. And then, uh, remember, we're told the, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. He was able to tear an animal apart because it gave him great power. It's clear in the book of Acts that the apostles manifested power as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the question is, is that the way, the only way that we manifest the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? Go back with me to Romans chapter 1, or not Romans, Acts chapter 1. And we looked at this passage a couple of times also. I wanted to be very clear to you, the Holy Spirit gives us power. And if you are weak in the faith, if you just don't have the strength that you need, it's because you're not understanding fully in your own life the reality of the Holy Spirit with you and in you. Acts chapter 1. And we'll finish with this, Acts chapter 1. This is where Jesus uh, promised the Holy Spirit right before his ascension to heaven. Where he says, but you will receive power. There's the promise. You'll receive power. And the power will come, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
But notice specifically what Jesus says, that power of the Holy Spirit will enable them to do. And he says, you shall be my witnesses. The primary power that the Holy Spirit gives to us is to bear witness to our faith. If we were all honest with ourselves, if I had to ask you this morning, what is it, especially the, the top three things that give you fear as a believer, almost all of us would have if not at the very top, at least in the top three, I am afraid to share my faith. I'm afraid to witness to an unbeliever, especially someone who may be hostile to me or antagonizing toward me. How do we get over that? It is by the Holy Spirit who helps us, who empowers us, who enables us to get over those fears to be able to share our faith openly with others. The power of the Holy Spirit also helps us uh, to deal with temptation and sin. It helps us to uh, grow in sanctification. Many other areas of our lives where the power of the Holy Spirit is so very valuable and important. But the one area I want you to hear today is the Holy Spirit will help you in those situations throughout your life. It may be with your children. Sometimes it's the hardest to speak to the people we know the best and love the most. You may have some fear, anxiety about it. The power of the Holy Spirit will help you. And he will give you the strength that you need. What a wonderful blessing to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. He is in you. Rejoice in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray that you would take it today, apply it to our hearts, and use it to change us and make us more like Christ. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who truly is with us and in us every step of every day. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen.